0: Thanks for joining us today for the latest episode in SIFMA's podcast series. I'm Joe Seidel, SIFMA Chief Operating Officer, and we're here today to discuss a major speech given on Friday by Federal Reserve Vice Chairman for Supervision, Randy Quarles, where he laid out a suite of changes he intends to make to the central bank's oversight of financial institutions, particularly around transparency, accountability, and fairness. I'm joined by my colleagues, Corey Stephenson, Managing Director and Head of Prudential Capital and Liquidity Policy And also Carter McDowell, Managing Director, Associate General Counsel, and Head of Prudential Policy. Corey, let's dig in. SIFMA has done a lot of advocacy work around concerns with the Comprehensive Capital Analysis and Review Program, (C-CAR). And I see that in uh, Vice Chair Corral's speech, he he discussed at length the ccar program and and in particular focused on areas around the global market shock where it's SIFMA also, and you particularly have done a lot of work both at the Fed when you were there uh, as well as here now at SIFMA. Uh, of the changes in the speech, what would impact the GMS? What would impact the broader system? What else should we we know about the speech and its changes It being suggested? <laughs>
1: Sure, right. Thanks, Joe. Um, I, I think uh Vice Chairman Quarles uh outlined three specific moves. Um one is uh, that the Fed will be considering ways uh, to tamp down volatility um, that occurs naturally as a result of um, uh, year after year doing the CCAR scenarios, um, importantly, too, about GMS factor shocks. The more that varies year on year, the more um, volatility could be embedded in the CCAR results and therefore making capital planning and capital projections a little bit more difficult. Um, he also mentioned that he's going to extend the timeline between uh, the stress test results and the submission of the capital plan, allowing firms um, more time to be able to prepare. Um, and I think one of the uh, the last uh, item, which is, I think, important to a lot of the efforts we've had uh, working on the GMS and the LCD, which is increased transparency around the model development and the scenario development process, including the methods by which the GMS factor shocks are developed in size. Uh, This has been a subject of our uh, advocacy efforts over the past year. Um primarily, uh, we have been advocating that the calibration and the correlation um, assumptions underlying those GMS factor shocks are um, uh, inappropriate for the risk and liquidity of those books.
0: So will these changes result in a less rigorous stress test?
1: Uh, not at all. Um, in fact, um, these three factors one are totally in line with uh, some of the uh, qu- uh, values that Vice Chairman um, Quarles has been signaling in his view of supervision, transparency, simplicity, and accountability. Um, for just as an example, the enhanced transparency in the model development and uh, scenario development. Uh, there was actually, last year, there was greater uh, enhancement of transparency. So this is just a continuing effort. Um, I think the calculation and tamping down volatility allows um, probably for a better um, uh, financial system in the fact that there's no sort of surprises that come out of uh, of a, uh, not necessarily a surprise, there's no... um, there's no difficulties with trying to react in such a uh, short period of time for a firm that may need to rearrange its capital plan given um, what the scenario looked like uh, in that specific year. So I don't think there's anything here that makes me think, and especially as someone who's a former supervisor, there's nothing here that says, wow, they're really reducing the severity um, of uh, the stress test and certainly the rigor of supervision overall. I think it's just being more transparent um, as to what expectations are and and what they're looking to do.
0: So what is the impact of these changes on banks uh, that SysMob works with most most particularly, the banks that are uh, heavily involved in capital markets activities?
1: Um, so I think here the more transparency and the more known it is to firms in the capital markets, it keep in mind the, um, the stress test really uses GMS factor shocks. So there's no real scenario. It's basically one receives factor shocks based on, um, product characteristics. And it's just really a multiplication um, exercise. Um, Um, So, the impact here is the greater the transparency in that factor shock um, uh, portfolio, the more those banks can actually understand which way uh, the Fed thinks about the inherent risks of those products um, and can actually, over time, start to re-engineer their business decisions um, and their product mix.
0: You know, in, in the speech also, Vice Chairman Quarles and on several changes to the LISAC program, uh, the large bank supervision program, uh, what were those changes and, and, and what would you say, uh, based on your experience, what, were the, what would you say the impact will be of those changes?
1: Sure. So, um I think the most important one is that um it's actually it's interesting because it's important because it it signals that now there's a formulaic way to how an organization is designated to be or placed in the LISC portfolio. And as many people understand, a LISC firm is subject to probably the most stringent, is definitely sub, um, subjected to the most uh, stringent supervision in the U.S. Um, so while there's going to be a clear, uh, transparent way by which firms would be placed in that portfolio, it is unlikely for U.S. firms that the membership within uh, the LISIC will change at all. Where I think it's impactful is for those firms that are in sort of that tier two, um, and that tier two, I'm referring to um, the more tailored uh, or the tailoring uh, proposal or final rule that came out in 2019. Um, I think there, for the first time firms have a very clear understanding of what is the type of risks and types of uh activities et cetera, which the federal reserve think contain more um uh more, most significant risks that would put them in the highest or the the um the category which warrants the most supervision so that transparency allows firms i think to make a a better educated um uh, d- discussion and decision making process um when it comes to acquisition or business changes et cetera
0: you know, one of the things I noticed was that they are going to uh, ultimately uh, disclose their program manual. What, what uh, maybe very quickly, what does what does that mean, and what do you think sure. uh, that will uh, result in?
1: So, as someone who's a former supervisor, I applaud that. Uh, it is traditional uh, that the Fed has produced or published uh, for firms' reviews, their supervisory manuals. So there's the commercial bank manual, the foreign bank manual, the trading bank manual, and a host of other manuals out there circulating. Um, one of the things, though, as time went on, for those banks that were subject to the most stringent of supervision, there was very little information out there uh, for firms to to understand what their uh, requirements were vis-a-vis other less, less um, uh, systemically important organizations. And so this is the first time they're going to have a view into, um, for, many, uh, for many risk categories, what exactly um, the Fed is looking for in terms of risk management practices, et cetera, versus sort of regulating by supervisory letter. So importantly, they'll hear about really a lot more transparency, Transparency on CILAR. It's broader than just what was in um, a, a supervisory discussions and exam letters.
0: Yes, thanks, Corey. And uh, maybe, Carter, you can uh, share with us uh, some of the insights uh, Vice Chairman Quarles made about the foreign banks and then what the impact uh, the list of ca- uh, changes may have on uh, some of them.
2: Yeah, thanks, Joe. Thanks, Corey. So as Corey indicated, since the financial crisis, the Fed has basically divided firms operating in the United States into several different categories. And depending on how much systemic risk um, you had within the United States, they subjected you to various levels of supervision. The most onerous level, which is where you had heightened prudential standards applied to those firms that were in illicit Group, which is the Large Institution Supervision Coordinating Committee group, and that included all eight of the U.S. GSIBs and then four globally um, systemically important banks based on their um, footprint outside and inside the United States. This had been kind of a Hotel California-type um, exercise, and so if you were changing your... Um, your size and the composition of your business in the United States. There was no way to get out of this portfolio until the speech where Governor Quarles indicated that they are going to look not just at the firms that are in it, but they're going to define how they go about deciding which firms should go into the various categories. He specifically laid out some um, criteria that were impacting this decision. He said that for the Um, Four firms that are in the LISIC portfolio, they have reduced their U.S. assets by more than 50%. They have reduced their U.S. broker-dealer assets by more than 80% since 2008. And in fact, on an individual basis, those firms were – less than 25% as systemically important in the United States as any of the U.S. SIBs. And for that reason, he didn't think that they required being put into that category. And we would expect those firms to fall into a lower category and therefore be subject to less – supervision going forward. That is also important for the USG-SIBs because it's, as I said, indicating that there now is a process for how you could de-risk your institution and thereby potentially move yourself into a lower um, regulatory and supervisory bucket so that, um, you know, you wouldn't be subject to these heightened prudential standards. So we'll be watching that closely. And as Corey said, we'll also be looking at their publication of the um, internal LESIC procedures manual to see what ramifications that might also have for um, firms that fall into that category
1: yeah Carter I think you bring up a good point um, about uh the clarity the formula brings to the marketplace and it truly allows organizations to evaluate their business strategy their risk appetite um, in order to either take the take the plunge and go to the um, go to be a much larger more risk uh, risk intense organization and then be subject to more uh more rigorous supervision or stay in the category directly below, um, understanding that they may not get the economies of scale that they that they potentially would be looking for. And I think there are a number of banks that stand below that LISIC portfolio um, that are much happier understanding, or they know today, or they will know, um, how and what um, that they – how and what changes in their um, behaviors or strategies may push them into a different
2: category. And Joe, can I add one more point too? I think it's really important here. We talk about this in a number of our podcasts and in our comment letters about the impact of the Fed becoming a principal regulator of the capital markets. And I think what you're seeing here is that these firms have dramatically reduced their involvement in the U.S. capital markets. And while that does potentially reduce their systemic importance within the United States, it also signals a lot less lending and capital formation that they're doing through the capital markets. And so I, I think it, it illustrates the point that we've been making that as the Fed tries to wring these risks out of the system, they may be impacting the ability of U.S. corporations to access the capital markets and the capital they need, because as has been demonstrated um, you know, in a number of instances, the capital markets provide somewhere between two-thirds and three-quarters of all capital formation in the United States, and the FBOs are big players um, in those markets.
0: Yeah, no, no, I, I, I totally agree, Carter, and I think uh, several of those points you made also uh, were made uh, uh, with with data behind it in a SIFMA research uh, report that was published last spring, I believe. Um so in terms of uh, uh, Vice Chairman Quarles' vision, what do you think the next steps are in turning that vision into a reality? Uh, how will they be implemented? And what, what do you think the timeline looks like? Corey Carter, either either one or both of you.
1: Sure. So- so I do think that some of the um, points that he raised in his speech, um, he indicated quite clearly that uh, they were immediate, uh, short-term types of objectives, um, such as um, refinement, to the, or refinement to the LISIC portfolio. Um, I think both uh, the membership of that portfolio, but also coming up with a more formulaic Uh, transparent approach. Uh, I think clearly the transparency uh, initiatives in um, the CCAR um, approach is something that's a near-term 2020 uh, type of event. Um, I think, for example, and we didn't really touch on it, but the... um, Uh, the guidance versus rule um, changes that are uh, being done, which is one is a review of current guidance to ensure that it complies with the Congressional Review Act, and then secondly, um, a statement or a rule on, you know, the, um, the meaning of what guidance is and how that differentiates differentiates from a rule, and that seems to be an interagency type of effort. I mean, that too likely will be something that's a 2020 event. I think other areas um, are going to be subject to additional study. So, for example, um, the effectiveness of the new rating system and looking at the interplay between qualitative and quantitative aspects for liquidity and capital. So, the way that uh, examiners, Nuance the rating based on qualitative aspects will be subject to study. So, that's likely a 2021 event. Um, There are also um, things with regards to the SEB that it looks like it's a late 2020 type of event, although there is some indication that under existing rule, you might see some tweaking.
2: Yeah, I would just add that in unlike in the regulatory space where you have to do things pursuant to the Administrative Procedures Act and go out for notice and public comment, in the supervisory space, many of these actions can be taken by the Federal Reserve without going out for notice and public comment, and so they could be done relatively quickly. There are some areas where he has stated that he wants to get that um, public feedback through the notice and comment process and apply more transparency and efficiency to Supervisory process, but again, I think these are areas where the the work is already done on the Fed side, and so it could relatively quickly be put out for comment by the public since these are long standing positions. A lot of this does not need to be drafted; it's already um, in the rule book and the and the supervisory guidance manuals.
0: Oh, that's terrific! That's terrific. Uh, well, on that note, thank you for listening today. To learn more about. SIFMA's work in the prudential policy and regulatory space, please visit us at CIFMA.org.